don't do that, man. Oh, don't tell is me what the, to do. Is this the start over from when you fucked it all up? Yeah. I'll do it again. I'll say your last name again. I'll say it as many times as I want. Oh my God, our Look, hosts are docs. it's not Rumpel Stiltskin here. Like, I'm not going to give you my gold if that's what you think's happening. Like, you have any fucking gold? I can see your apartment in your fucking Zoom window. Look, yes, see? Look. Or There's is just black worried. apparatus, though. Have you have you ever have you familiar with the black apparatus? A shelf. I've seen it. I've seen, yep. I've seen yeah. a shelf. It's a shelf. Yeah. Aura co-host, proud owner of one shelf. That's that's what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? What Aura is really worried about is if his address gets leaked. That the the wave of schoolgirls <laughs> that will find their way there is just ruin his career in quiz show hosting. <laughs> just just schoolgirls just drowning that house in panties. <laughs> the quiz show hosting, yeah. The quiz show. Being on, being on the quiz show. Quiz show being, being. You're a broke. <laughs> hey, hey, listener, again, uh, this is further ado. It's a podcast. Uh, on this podcast, we talk about subjects related to things that we do on another podcast a couple weeks ago. Maybe you listened to it. Maybe this is your first one. I don't know. Who are you really? Who am I fucking talking to? Am I, am I, does anyone exist anymore? Like, it's been the months, Matrix, it's been months since I've spent significant time with another human being. Uh, am I just in some fucking experimental cage now? I don't know. But I'm going to pretend that I'm not. With me, uh, I'm your host, Josh, and with me, as always, are Aura and Cody, who may or may not exist. Say hello, fellas. Uh, they, uh, they refer to me as the Coyote Chopper. Uh, I, believe, I believe Aura is known as the Jazz Bone Rattler. And uh, Josh, uh, his reputation is as the open road musket. That's true. Uh, I was the jazz bone rattler. Oh, my bad. oh yes, don't, I was the don't open you, road. Don't you let Aura fucking take that from me. <laughs> <laughs> He's taken so much. <laughs> oh, oh my God, I saw the best, uh, the best um, uh, uh, obituary earlier today. Have you guys seen that That's, obituary? This episode is starting as we mean to go on. <laughs> <laughs> No, by all means, Aura, please continue to dig. Uh, I, no, I was just, uh, uh, and then it was a cool obituary. Go ahead, tell it. Yeah, I, I didn't well, see I, it. Well, I'll have to find it. So, I mean, do we want to go on with the show and then, like, I'll bust back in? or did... In for a penny, in for weird jokes about dead people. Uh, well, I, I mean. I'm uh, sure it's going to end up tying in with this episode, isn't it? Is that what you're getting no, at? No, 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 no. Uh, but that, Yes. Uh, is interesting as well. Are we gonna? We'll save that for the end, I guess. Are we gonna do a little like trivia and tidbits for this uh, for this viewing? So, uh, in Hutchinson, Kansas, this guy named uh, John Rogers Weinhofer uh, just died, and his obituary in the newspaper: John Rogers Weinhofer, forty-five, of Hutchinson, Kansas, buggered off, uh, capulated, ceased to exist. Gave up the ghost, bought the farm, kicked the bucket, crossed over the rainbow bridge. That is to say, he did indeed slide off from this life, May 8th, uh, 2020. John, a.k.a. Dutch, was beyond a doubt the world's okayest brother. He didn't suck at being a son, although we're pretty sure he, uh, was, in his, he was his own favorite. And after all, he wasn't awful. According to family lore, he was found under a rock somewhere near Sparta, Illinois, 
on December 12th, uh, 1974. He was a chubby little toe, had a, a toe-headed baby who spent uh, his days laughing, then crying because he couldn't figure out where the noise was coming from. I wish I was making that up. Dutch took his place as the youngest sibling, uh, serious, uh, seriously and in a family that considers quick wit a must and sarcasm a competitive sport. He surprised us all. He did eventually grow up. I use that term loosely to be, uh, to be the irreverent Weisenheimer we love so much. Uh, he was fluent in pig Latin movie quotes and obscure mu music trivia. He had many hobbies as he enjoyed Doritos a great deal. <laughs> uh, he also loved karaoke, comic con conventions, bad dad jokes, and of course video games. He was an avid gamer, but unfortunately he went before mastering Banjo-Kazooie's Bubble Goop Swamp. Uh, Chili Mac, New Socks, and Mountain Dew should get an honorable mention as well. He's, uh, and then the rest of it is serious. So. At point? <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't want anything serious on this show. Well, I mean, the, the I mean, the rest of it is like here's the rest of his family that died and things, but yeah. it's a pretty good obituary. I uh, I used to live in Hutchinson. Yeah. That's the end of my fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> my family better not fucking rip off Monty Python in my obituary. I couldn't tell if it was more Monty Python or if it was more uh, New Age, like Letterkenny style humor. It was pretty directly Monty Python, if I recall. Oh, was Did that Rainbow Bridge was that from something? Dead Parrot, it was a right? Dead Parrot sketch. Yeah, Dead Parrot. Oh, oh really? Well, because the Dead Parrot is mentioned towards the end. Ah, so yeah. Okay, we nailed it. And themes, because we'll probably be hearing a parrot throughout this whole episode. Sorry, Drax. <laughs> You're a good birdie. Obituaries before we've even fucking introduced the show. Hey, are we on a network or are we all just worm food? Are we all what? Worm or are food. we all worm food and it doesn't matter? Oh, we are. I heard you right then. Yes, we are indeed worm food at the uh, thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. Yep. There's uh, there's spoilers and swears, but I mean, really, given the inevitable extinction of life within a billion years or so at the off uh, at the optimal it doesn't really matter <laughs> hey cody what are we talking about this week quiz boys we're talking about those <laughs> we're talking about those quiz and quiz boys boy i tell you what uh we watched um, a, we watched a film this week uh called quiz show uh mm -hmm. directed by robert redford uh the reason we're watching the movie this week is a uh, compare in contrast to the uh, material that we read last week, which was two autobiographical comics about uh, Quiz Boys also. Uh, also, I just realized it wasn't last week, like two weeks ago. Yep. Nice. So yeah, uh, the autobiographical comics, we more or less agreed that one was better than the other. Uh, or one, I don't know, just gave a less, more interesting factual history. Less tone deaf than the other one, I think, might be where we landed. Yeah. Uh, guy in it wasn't a dick. That was, a, that was an advantage of one of them. 
Well, the dad in the other one was a dick. Kind of, well, I don't know. Maybe not a dick. Was there a dick in this movie? Uh, everyone's a dick in this movie. The TV producer. The glasses guy, big glasses guy. Uh, and right. Yeah. Yeah. I can kind of see that. Maybe. I, the system is the dick in this movie. Although I do like how Enright at the end, you know, he's like, he's like, I'm never going to give it up. I'm never going to, well, sorry, never mind. Uh, I guess we're not talking about that yet. We said spoilers. We're, we're, well, we're clear. But, but we, we usually said work our way to them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ray Fiennes, a lot of big names in this movie. Ray Fiennes, uh, John Turturro. Yeah. Maris Servino, uh, big, uh, big name. I was going to ask you, Josh, were these people who were stars before they were stars, or are these people who are on the rise while this is happening? These people were all pretty established. Okay. Yeah, this came out in 95. I, I was having a hard time with the timeline. Uh, Ray Fiennes is in... Drax, shut up! Ray Fiennes is in my favorite movie, uh, so... Is I, that uh, Harry Potter? Yes, uh, no. <laughs> uh, but I think he was, I think this was a couple years after this, or that movie was a couple years after this, so I didn't know where he was at relative to that. I think what? he'd been known at that point for a few things. He was one of the younger ones. John Turturro had been in old Hollywood hand for a while. Like, I'd say that, I mean, for instance, he had already done uh had Do the Right Thing come out yet? I think Do the Right Thing had come out by that point. Rob Morrow is in it, which is interesting because his career went to shit pretty quick. Well, The Simpsons it was definitely already out by this point in time, too, and Hank Azaria is in it. Yeah. But again, Hank Azaria had been in stuff for a long time as a supporting yeah. dude. Yeah, Wikipedia refers to 93 as Ray Fine's breakout year. With the baby of Macon uh, on Schindler's List. Oh, Schindler's List, wow. yeah. I'm gonna go make out during Schindler's List. What What year was the first Harry Potter movie? Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. 2001, I think? Really? I thought it was like 99 or 98 or something at least. No, it was after the 2000s. Wow. After. Shit, okay. It's 2000 or 2001. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, because we, we kind of talked about, me and Haley while we were watching this, how there's like, there's two people who know Ray Fiennes. One is like everybody who knows him from movies where he gets to be known as Ray, like basically Ray Fiennes. And then people who have seen the Harry Potter movies and like can recognize the actor that played Voldemort. Uh, Oh man, Ray Fiennes has been in his career really started to take off around 85. He was yeah. in Desperately Seeking Susan to Live and Die in L.A. Oh, uh, okay. Hannah and Her Sisters, which was a pretty well-reputed Woody Allen movie. Gung Ho, if you remember that one. The Color of Money. Uh, Do the Right Thing in 89. It's John Turturro. I'm, sorry, I'm talking about John Turturro, not Ray Fiennes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, John Turturro's career really, really seems to have taken off about 85, and he bounced through Coen Brothers stuff a fair amount before this. Mm -hmm. 
Rob Morrow was mostly known for Northern Exposure at this point, which is the only thing I'll ever really be known for, I think. Oh, that was the, yeah, I, okay, now that you said that, yeah. Ooh, he was in a movie called uh, Private Resort, which I think was an Up All Night movie. That title sounds like an Up All Night movie. Oh, it, it sure the fuck does. <laughs> and then in 2014, he was in Atlas Shrugged Part 3. Oh. <laughs> he was the third person they went to after they had to recast again. Oh, he was my. Henry Reardon is from the first movie. That character. Are you talking? Are you talking about the third iteration of rich people eating? I and I've never seen any other than the first one, so I assume. <laughs> I assume they don't improve. It's not usually the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows the trilogy is always going on the upswing. Uh, Spider-Man three, Blade three, Shrek the third. Mm-hmm. Oh, this film also has a well-reputed supporting actor, David Paymer, who was Enright. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you recognized him from a million things. Yeah. Uh, Christopher McDonald as the the host. Oh yeah, Goose McKenzie. Mm -hmm. My my favorite spot was Mira Sorvino, who's really fallen off the earth. Yeah, I have. You said that earlier. I have no idea who that is. She's in Romy and Michelle's, uh, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. American Beauty. This was a very early picture for her, I guess. She's been in a couple of things before that. She never, she never quite took off. She was in Replacement Killers with Chow Yun Fat. Who was the character in this movie in Quiz Show? Uh, she's uh, the senator's wife, like the the sort of hard bitten reporter lady. Oh, okay. I always enjoyed her performances. It looks like she's been in more than I thought, and that all of them are things that are probably straight to video, like Space Warriors. Oof. Um, who else is not with Space there? Anything as the title for your sci fi movie is usually a pretty bad indicator. Nope. Yeah, I think just going through the list of, oh, there's a guest appearance by Martin Scorsese. As the uh, the 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 dude from the corporation, that was one of the things that I saw uh, on IMDb. Sure was hell. there's like uh, a grand total, technically, of six people in this movie who are like filmmakers in their own right. Ray Fiennes is one of them, and then there's another person who's like an actor, like a main actor, and then uh, four other like cameo appearances are by other producers and directors. Yeah, I mean, this is a Robert Redford film, so he's well-connected. Yeah, this was a big sort of... It was it was an Oscar. It's clearly intended to be an Oscar film, although it didn't take at home any Oscars. It just got nominations. It's a really... Picture. It's a super interesting, like, bit of American history, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very time capsule type of movie. Like, the opening shot is... Uh, like uh, one of the main characters, the investigator who uh, looks into if like this quiz show is being fraudulent. It's like just him ogling over a car, like a, uh, I don't even remember the car, but like a sales 
Chrysler, yeah, a salesman pitching him on the floor. And then he's like, oh, the only thing that sounds better than the engine is the radio. And they turn it on at the exact moment that it, they happen to be broadcasting the first sounds of Sputnik. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really like the open. It was it was ham-fisted. Yeah. It, it just didn't have much to do with anything, and it didn't do a good – like, it didn't really set things up with Rob Morrow. It just shows, like, exactly when it is. But you're right. Yeah. Like, they, they didn't need to do that at all. I mean, like, if you're going to do that in a movie about something that happened in the 80s, you'd have people be like, hey, have you seen my new Swatch? You know, <laughs> look at my look at my Zubas. Hey, let's sit down and watch some Saved by the Bell or some different strokes. You know, and it's just okay. Make a real Stranger Things out of it. Yeah, that uh, that was sort of the thesis of me, a podcast that'll never hear, that'll never make it to the air that me and Josh were dealing with, uh, with Stranger Things. I think the they were a little more adroit about it on that. Uh, this is just I mean, you could lop off the opening and you don't really lose anything from this movie yeah and that's the biggest criticism you can lop. And, and it's an over two hour movie so you really gotta ask why didn't you hmm. well, you got Ray Fiennes chewing the scenery a bit <laughs> okay that's the other thing this movie is like egregiously uh, handsome and cunning <laughs> If you're not super handsome, then you're cunning. And most of the time, you're both. Like, everybody is so sharp. Like, the next scene where you see the investigator is, like, him and a couple other of the uh, oversight committee people. And every single line is just them, like, slamming each other. Well, there's there's more to it than that, too. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not... Yeah, we I don't should think stay it's, with the story. We should st maybe stay with the stay with the story. Is I feel like we're just sort of yeah, we're already just talking, talking about, about the movie. <laughs> uh, so quiz show is uh, the story of the one of the quiz show scandals for twenty one, which was at one point a very successful game show in America. Uh, quiz show or twenty one became a very successful quiz show through its returning champions, which people wanted to see, you know, winning again and again. Uh, the problem is Quiz Show, Jesus, I keep wanting to call it Quiz Show because it's a fucking movie title. <laughs> 21 uh, maintained that success by feeding answers to people that they wanted to be recurring contestants. Uh, also, let's be clear. The only reason a name of a the terrible name Twenty One took off is because like TV is brand fucking new. They, yeah. they keep talking about that too. I mean, as a concept, it's interestingly linked to blackjack, I guess. But you know, yeah, it isn't. It isn't the greatest name. <laughs> There's references to gambling as well, like to support that too throughout the yeah. movie. I mean, in, in essence, it's kind of. Yeah, that's yeah, like the. You really I, get a sense of the rules of the game show in the, in the film, which is kind of a problem, actually. Yeah, you have an idea of what modern game shows are like, where you you know, ask a question, you give an answer, or vice versa. You know, very direct. But these were all like, three-parter things. They were wagering points. Uh, they could say 
Uh, do you mind if I take that last part first? There were there was multiple times where they would like switch it around like that. Yeah. Well, they. I think there are two times in particular that are designed to be an echo of each other, where because we see Herb do it and we see Charles do it, and they both say, "Can I take the third part first? Yeah. It's some. It's interesting because that obviously becomes like the links later in exposing the scandal is like the similarities. Yeah. It, the rehearsed nature of the performances. But I think in, I think it's specifically. I suspect as a as a writing technique, it's specifically designed to create, yeah, to emphasize the similarity between the characters. I I did look up a couple of things because I was curious about the timeline of events, mm -hmm. and there there are some things that are a little bit different. But we also yeah. here like talked about how the choices that they made don't oh. detract from the real history at all but they serve for sure to like help keep this movie at only <laughs> like two hours long yeah well we, we can get to it um so the plot is about how this scandal became uncovered uh it follows multiple characters uh they're not a ton so i don't know if it's really it's not it's not altman-esque <laughs> it's not an ensemble film we're just following like I'd say three main characters. Yeah. Uh, one of the main characters is Herb Stemple, who is the current, at, at the start of the movie, he's the current champion on 21. Uh, he's been fed answers and uh, is participating in the system to try and make money. Uh, he's a, a Jewish dude who lives in Queens, uh, which is significant. Uh, New York's neighborhoods have a lot of meaning, and I'm not super fluent at decoding them, but what I believe is that Queens was, A, Queens heavily associated with immigrants and the ethnic, uh, but B, it's not, like, Brooklyn is for the, like, the really impoverished. I mean, not anymore, but, like, classically in New York, that was what Brooklyn stood for, was people who were sort of at the end of their rope. Uh, and, in, and, in fact, when they were, I, I read a bit about the, the real Herb Stemple. When he was a kid, like his family initially lived in Queens. And then when his dad died when he was seven, the family was forced to move to Brooklyn. Interesting. Um, Queens is more working people on their way up, like people that have a profession. Like they're still working people, but they're not the lowest, most desperate rungs of society. They're immigrants that are starting to uh, gel into America at this point. Uh, I did, I, I tried to find demographics around the, the era, but I couldn't really do a great job of it. Right now, interestingly, uh, its highest population in Queens is of Catholics, uh, as far as a group, like mostly descendants of Italian and Irish Catholics, uh, followed by uh, Muslims followed by Orthodox Jews specifically. Mm. So we see that it's a neighborhood with some fairly different groups together, right? Yeah. They say in this movie, Martin Scorsese's line is, uh, Queens is not New York. Yes. That's a very important line. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that Herb is kind of a neighborhood hero, in fact, although the rest of the world doesn't necessarily seem to like him. Uh, 
and there's lots of things that people say about him during the course of this film, but I would say what the filmmakers want you to think, and I don't know if this is based on history or what, or to what degree it's based on history, uh, it's because he's Jewish. Yeah. Because he's a very Jewishy guy. He's kind of nebishy. He's kind of he's kind of working class. He he wants money and he wants in on opportunities, and he's a bit desperate. Yeah, I would uh, say they don't like necessarily link like specifically that part but for sure like the Hank Azaria makes a really negative comment about him I can't nobody says like the k word or anything like that but they definitely disparage him uh certain times because like oh who would you rather have like that's that ends up being a big thing in the movie is Ray Fiennes is this handsome son of a poet professor guy who is this new up-and-comer that they can pick versus uh exactly this they're like he's jewish he looks like he's from a poor area we make him look like a, a geek because it's trivia but we're not getting the ratings we want yeah and at one point the rob morrow character directly spotlights when he's talking to one of the executives he's like they're talking about oh, all those things that herb stemple is telling you they're so crazy and he was like yeah he told me that every time uh every time a, a jews champion and loses and it, he always loses to a Gentile and the Gentile makes lots more money. And they're, and they're all like, that's ridiculous. Who would think that? And he, he Rob Morrow's like, no, look into it. It's true. Yeah. And they're kind of like, Oh, well that's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they let that scene just like fade. They're just kind of like shocked, yeah. but uh, that's, that's the moment where they say the quiet part loud. <laughs> for sure. But they do generally underplay it because they don't, I don't think they want the racial themes to be, or the ethnic themes, or whatever you want to refer to it, themes to be the forefront of the film. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, I get, we can say this later. Do you want to, the disp, the dip, blah, 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 blah. what's the, uh, what's the lawyer word for when they're talking at the end? Just his defense? Allegedly. <laughs> no, his disposition? Deposition? Uh, deposition. 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 Yeah. Oof, that was a hard one. Like he he talks about them uh, coaching him, yeah. Like on how to like how to um and haw and, and dab at his forehead instead of uh, do it other ways. Like sometimes almost play up that uh, aspect. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say the second main character is uh, Charles Van Dorn. Uh, Charles Van Dorn is the son of a Columbia professor and well-known poet. And it's, and I think this is important to the film. Like when you look them up on Wikipedia, one thing that you'll notice on Wikipedia is they have that little stat bar at the top. Um, but who gets what in that stat bar varies a great deal based on their background and notability and things like that. Uh, Herb Stemple, it notes his, uh, his spouses because he had, the wife that's in the movie who eventually dies and then he remarries and it mentions that he has one child but he doesn't it doesn't name it uh it doesn't name the kid uh charles van dorn you get clickable links for his parents because both of them are noteworthy people uh his father uh is a well-known professor as, as seen in the film he's a literary critic he's apparently very responsible for bringing melville back into the critical conversation after a period in which Melville had fallen out of the canon. Oh, wow. Um, 
his mother was a newspaper person and an editor at the nation where which is where they she met his, uh the, the the elder Van Buren and they married Mark Van Buren I think is his name. Uh, his brother was uh, anyway I think it, it might have been his brother that re, that redid Melville. It's his father that was he was a Columbia poetry professor who was heavily influential on the Beats. So so the point is uh, Charles Van Dorn comes from a family that they're a, they're a patrician New England family. It, did uh did you I I'm sorry my wife distracted me for a moment. Did you mention that uh, Van Dorn has written a ton of books too? Uh, Charles. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get to it. Okay. I, mean, I feel Just like maybe a... we'll get to where they eventually go in their lives. <laughs> well, I've I've read one of his books. I, I knew I had recognized the name, and I was yeah. like why do I recognize that name? And it was, it was sort of bugging at bugging me, but I was like, I just assumed it had something to do with like the, what the stuff this movie's about. And, you know, I, but then, you know, while I was looking at the Wikipedia page, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've read this guy's book. So. Uh, one of, one of Van Doren's ancestors worked with uh, a philosopher named Adler, who's pretty well known, I guess. I mean, I all I recognize the last name Van Dorn for that reason too. But yeah. but uh, Charles, specifically Charles Van Dorn, I was like, like I know that name, <laughs> like so. Yeah, and they're not necessarily like yacht clubby people, but they're New York intelligentsia. Intelligentsia. And they are like uh, Charles went to Columbia and teaches at Columbia. Uh, Herb went to. Uh, the City College in New York, like C U N Y, I think, which always sounds dirty to me. Like hey, me too. Yeah. Um. So you know, we see this sort of, and the film definitely tries to play at this distinction between this like well-heeled person from a impressive family with all of the right credentials and all of the right people that he knows to talk to, versus this kind of schmucky dude who just happens to be smart. Uh, and sort of the third character in all of this is the senator, whose name I'm not going to remember. Do you guys remember? The senator. The the. the uh, you mean character. the investigator guy? Yeah. Oh, was, he, was he a senator? I thought he was just uh, some sort of like federal, federal oh. agent of some kind. Yeah, I might be mistaken on that. He uh, he references it's the uh, oversight committee for something for the for Congress. Yeah. He's a, a congressional lawyer. That's what it is. Yeah, congressional lawyer, and uh, he makes references to the fact that uh, people don't like, or other people around him make references to the fact that people don't stay in his profession for very long. It's usually like a stepping stone onto something else. Yeah, I mean, congressional lawyer is a. Uh is a job you take, I think, if you want to be, a, you know, attach yourself to a candidate eventually or to a, a few, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is in fact what the historical person did. Uh, and I, I just looked it up and I didn't grab the name for some stupid reason. Goodwin. Ah, uh, yeah. So Goodwin, uh, he is also, as we eventually find out, uh, of Jewish descent. Uh, he, but he comes from, 
he went to Harvard, so he comes from this sort of moneyed Ivy background uh, a bit more than Herb does. So he's kind of, in terms of class positioning, he's sort of placed in the middle. His his uh, ethnic status places him as something of an outsider, uh, but his his background makes him more at ease with navigating uh, the currents of power that exist in that time. By the time uh, Goodwin is like firmly put into like the rest of the plot of the movie is by the time that he is investigating it. So at that point, uh, Herb has already been like removed as the champion and mm -hmm. has already tried to take to Congress the fact that answers were being fed, but he didn't admit himself first. He was only uh, criticizing, oh. what's his name? Yeah. Uh, Van, whatever. Well, let's, uh, let's feed through the sequence. At the beginning, we have uh, we see that Herb is the champion, uh, but we also see that the studio people are disaffected with him, and the and, uh, ratings seem to be down, and they're clearly looking for another horse to back. Uh, meanwhile, we meet Charles, uh, who right away, I think, comes off as kind of a, an empty suit. I think the way they portray him in this film, that like he has a lot of erudition, and he has a great command of fact, but he doesn't seem to have much sense of what any of it means. He seems kind of callow. Um, he is trying to get on a different game show initially, uh, Tic Tac Doe, which has a much better name. Uh, I watched Tic Tac Doe as a kid. <laughs> like, but, but oh, one of the executives, uh, that are in charge of uh, 21, one of the producers, uh, spots him and is like, oh, hey, that, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, he's the son of this professor. And they're like, yeah, if I can bring him on. We need to bring him on 21. He needs to be the next, uh, the next big thing. We need to replace Herb with him. Uh, Herb is not happy with this. Like he's known the entire time that the show is crooked and that eventually someone was going to overthrow him, but he worries about his own uh, about his own how how he will come out of this i don't know i don't think they quite make a big deal of it in the movie but one thing notable is that herb stemple did not get a full cash payout from his prize money huh uh they made him sign a waiver to take less than 70 grand which he did because he thought that he would have a continued future in broadcasting when he should have been paid more than that Um, in the film, they just talk about him owing money to bookies. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird, seems like an odd change. I'm not sure if that part is historical. Yeah, they make, they, they talk about that, but, uh, he, they make reference, he makes reference later that he didn't get all of the money, but they definitely don't explain the full history of, of that thing. Yeah just that he didn't get his full payout even of like the what was it 70,000 that he was supposed to get he was supposed to get it's somewhat under 70,000 there's a on, on wikipedia there's a citation of him directly saying it basically one of the people from the network was waiting for him backstage and he was like you know we're not going to pay you all of this right um but uh, and he goes along in order to try and he's, he's gone along with things to try and keep in good graces because he thinks that he has a career in broadcasting outside of being on 21. 
he thinks he's going to be on a panel show. Uh, which nobody else thinks. Uh, at one point, one of the characters will claim, the David Paymer character, will claim to have uh, put his name on a list for a panel show and that it got rejected. I, I have no idea how historical that is. Mm-hmm. Or if even in the movie they mean you to believe David Paymer. Uh, so, but the thing is, since they control the answers, uh, Herb kind of knows that he's gonna, if they want him on the outs, he's going to be on the out. They tell him that he has to throw, uh, and this is a big sticking point historically. This is apparently accurate. Uh, they want him to throw by not giving the winner of the 1955 best picture, I think, uh, which is Marty. Uh, and Herb is, is very angry about this because he really liked that film. And he was like, I would fucking know that. Like, have me go out on something something different. Uh, but they use his, uh, but he does go along with it in the end. When he's on air, he does pretend that he does not know that Marty was the best picture and instead says on the waterfront, I believe. Uh, and this is the coronation of uh, Charles Van Doren as the new 21 uh, champion. On the Waterfront is also a movie about somebody taking a dive. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, there's a certain irony to that. And I do believe On the Waterfront was the thing that he said in real life. Yeah, that was the, so this was the other thing that I looked up uh, at this point that his On the Waterfront answer is when he's, uh, facing against Van Duren. Yeah, Van Doren. Van Doren. And uh, there was something about uh, it was actually three games that they tied, and it was like yeah. the fourth game was where he took the dive. Yeah, he didn't actually lose with that question. That's an ahistoric thing about the, about the film. But it's much more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely thematic on purpose. And I mean, from what I understand from the bits of interviews that I saw, it did stick in Herb's craw that he was supposed to say that he didn't know a movie that he very obviously knew, mm-hmm. which he thought was intended to to make him look, uh, to make people feel superior to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That an, that an intellectual wouldn't know uh, simple pop culture. Yeah. Uh, so Van Doren immediately becomes very popular. Uh Herb Stemple immediately becomes extraordinarily bitter, and he starts uh, feeding information to initially the New York uh, New York investigators. I don't think a congressional investigator at first. Uh, a grand jury is convened uh, to hear about quiz show stuff, but at the conclusion of the testimony, the grand jury testimony is sealed. Uh, Wikipedia makes the point that this is extraordinarily uncommon. This is the, a New York grand jury to see all the testimony. Goodwin is like reading the paper in the movie that has this article, and that's like the thing that tips him off that maybe something is amiss. Yeah. For that, well, they don't reason. make as big a deal in the film of it being unusual for that ceiling to happen. Yeah, he. I mean, he just makes like I said. It's the room of lawyers that are all quipping at each other. And, uh, yeah. He he mentions it, and so then he goes and just starts uh, introducing himself to the different people there. Yeah, so that's that's what brings uh, 
uh, Goodwin in to investigate. Uh, Goodwin talks to a lot of the people involved and in the process gets to know Charles Van Doren. Uh, since they came from a similar school background, they become fast friends. Uh, Goodwin also talks to Stemple eventually, uh, but doesn't like Stemple quite so much because he's kind of a loudmouth guy. And I, you get the impression that he maybe is a little, he thinks that he's a little shameful or something. Yeah, they don't, they haven't, uh, it, it, it takes a while to build in the movie the fact that he was also being fed answers. Yeah. They don't present that fully at first, just the fact that they groom very directly Van Doren for the position of the new champion with not just the prize money too, but guaranteeing all these extra great things are going to happen because of it. Yep. Uh, we get a fair deal of sort of, background motivational scenes, I think, at this point for Stemple and Van Doren. Uh, for Stemple, we see that a lot of his motivation is that his his wife, he's, he's not poor. Uh, his wife has a fair amount of money through her family that she can access. Um, but he doesn't seem to want to do that. Like he, one of his big motivations is he, he seems to want money so that he can make something of himself. Uh, meanwhile, Van Dorn is shown to have, this is a thing that's disputed by some people, but the guy that Wikipedia cites that is uh, disputing it is a, is a National Review editor, so fuck that guy. <laughs> Bunch of conservative dickweeds. Um, I think they eventually came around to never Trump, but Jesus fuck, who cares? These fucking slow-ass idiots. <laughs> um, Wait, hang on. Let me, let me just draw a picture here. So you saw that there was a dispute in a Wikipedia article and you decided to do a research on who the person was who was doing the disputation? Uh, it just said that X of the National Review. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I double-checked to be sure I was correct as to what the National Review was. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was just wondering if you, if you were deep-diving this Wikipedia article that you, you no. know. Yeah. No, I didn't. I went in a little. I looked at Herb Stemple. I looked at Van Doren and a bit about his family history. I, I didn't. I went like two, maybe three clicks deep through Wikipedia on it. If that helps you see how far I went. Oh, behind the curtain, all the way. Yep. Um. So. So fuck the National Review, but this guy says that the Van Dorns didn't have the distant relationship as portrayed in this film, in his experience. Uh, but definitely in this film, they're very. They're, I said New England patrician earlier for a reason, and they have that New England waspiness, that like difficulty connecting as people. Uh, Charles clearly finds his father very imposing intellectually, uh, and his father seems to have trouble giving a shit <laughs> about television and, and keeps wanting Charles to get back to the important things, which are teaching mm -hmm. and writing. Yeah, he he definitely like belongs to the uh, like the crowd that is like his family and the uh, the people around them that they are presented. But like his first introduction into the movie also is the fact that he is watching Twenty One, 
but he it, like interviews to be on a different show just because he likes that, likes the idea of that. Yeah. Interestingly, in that scene, I believe he's watching 21 while his family is having a dinner party or something. Yeah. He's like sequestered himself. Or they're over at somebody else's like huge mansion. I can't remember. Yeah, it's some, they're in some sort of society function of the kinds of shit that you... God, all these people are terrible people. I don't, I don't even know how to... All the people in this movie are fucking garbage humans. <laughs> they're they're the all... Yeah, they're all very smarmy. Every single person in this movie is just a little too, like, nudge, nudge, wink, winky. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to get into reviews too much. It's just... In in some sense, it's a bit harder for me to watch this movie just because Herb Stemple seems like a shithead and... Charles Van Dorn is the kind of person that I fucking hate, and 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 on whose uh, and on whose shoulders I put a lot of the blame for the current state of the country. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what? Directly. It's hard to watch a movie about them. What the sort of old money New Yorky American? No, no, no. Class. Yeah, no. I get the I get the overall. Yeah, like <laughs> old egg. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I thought you meant specifically the Van Duren family. No, that's a part of it. I mean, they were like it, they're intellectuals, but they're intellectuals in the sort of elite school idea. Like these aren't intellectuals that are trying to improve the world. They're intellectuals that are trying to teach rich people's kids about fucking Don Quixote. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck them. Talk about can't. There's a couple sucks of... now. <laughs> There was definitely a, a few points in the movie where they're like quipping back and forth and the, referencing like poets and stuff. And I would go like, oh, I recognize that one. Yeah. And they do a family game where they all do lines for Shakespeare. And I recognized all the lines. I don't know if I would have been able to place them on the spot, but I recognized all of them because I've read all that shit. But, you know, what kind of fucking family gathering? You fucking quote Shakespeare lines at each other. It's how clever, clever you are. Our family just quotes you, the movie, hey, Get Smart. My wife, you said that? My wife from off camera is like, well, my family does that. No, they don't oh, do that. Okay. <laughs> if they did. Oh, it would, okay. I'm sorry. My family you, doesn't give quotes. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Never mind, I misquoted. She's going to give you an earful for misrepresenting her. Yeah. Our family does quotes from things like animated movies and uh, two th uh, like The Princess Bride. Everybody knows people like that. Yeah, but I assume it's not this weird performative competition. <laughs> like that's that's how insane people act. Anyway, sorry, personal issues. <laughs> so we see we see the backgrounds of these terrible people, and we see the investigation progress. The big problem is that all the people with money don't want anything to happen. So Goodwin keeps running into that. He also believes that Van Dorn, like very late into the movie, believes Van Dorn is honest because of his personal relationship with him, because of his affinity. And because he's a, he's outwardly a nicer person. Uh, but it all eventually changes when he gets put on to, he sees in the archives this weird little stutter where it's very clear that the announcer thought that the contestant was going to lose, but he did gave the right answer instead. Uh, so he finds this guy, uh, Snodgrass, I think is the dude's name, something like that. 
He's an artist and he's the real person that broke open the 21 scandal more than anybody because he was a former contestant who did uh, something very smart when he was being brought in on this corruption, which is he took the money and then he used part of it to mail himself the answers uh, a few days before broadcast in case he ever needed to prove that these people were dishonest pieces of shit by registered letter. Uh, and he hands these over and at this point suddenly Goodwin has leverage. Uh, Goodwin's fight we start to see is to clean up corruption in the television industry, uh, which he's eventually trying to do through the Senate subcommittee hearing, which this was sort of the golden, the heroic age of Senate subcommittee hearings in the 50s. That's accurate. The Kefauver hearings and the uh, comics hearings. Those are... I, as I was as I was watching the the movie, I, re, I remembered watching some of those clips from the from the comic book hearings, too. So, yeah, the Kefauver hearings were like the Ur hearing from like '51, where it was organized crime hearings that were so popular, I shit you not, that they would set up TVs in movie theaters and charge you to watch it because there weren't a lot of televisions around yet in '51. You want to pay? You want to pay to watch some C-SPAN? <laughs> Basically. Uh, but there's an organized crime figure that in particular, like one thing that the book I read on it says is that his his vocal testimony, so for, for people who would hear it over the radio, was fairly steady. But when you watched him in person, he was extremely fidgety. And so television viewers had a very different impression of him. Uh, and they made the career of the senator named Kefauver, who I believe was also involved in the comic book things. He was. Uh, because, you know, you got to make the sequel. Um, but these, uh, the, the quiz show hearings uh, are brought about by, by the admission of Snodgrass and by Stemple admitting eventually, sort of in a moment of anger in the film, uh, that he too had been fed answers when he's talking with Goodwin, which he had not previously admitted. Uh, initially, because Goodwin finds that before he hears about the Snodgrass thing and he is unable to get anywhere with it because nobody thinks Herb Stemple is uh, reliable. He is for it. The studio has done a fairly efficient job of setting a frame on, on Herb. For instance, they pay for him to get psychiatric help after the, uh, after the loss. Cause they're like, you're not feeling very great. You should go see somebody. And then they present the receipts for those uh, psychiatric treatments as evidence so that he's unstable. Real fucking dick move. Yeah. It's something that is is interesting because in retrospect and as the viewer, like you can clearly see all of these things and it's like, like, oh yeah. But uh, in the moment when these like committees are happening, all those big TV producers at the beginning of the movie who are definitely all like in unison, like, oh yeah, he sucks. Or Herb Stemple is like, he doesn't look good for the network. Cut him are all there doing their whole like, oh yeah, I had no idea that people were being get fed the answers. Yeah. Well, I want to focus in particular on the psychiatric treatment too, though. Uh, because the interesting thing to me about that is how it plays into the prejudice of the time. Because and, and I don't even know how well it plays these days. Like these days, if you went to somebody's court case and you were like, well, they sought psychiatric treatment, I don't know that that would be disqualifying, but in the fifties, it often was. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like if they called it, uh, 
into into uh, into a court case, there would have to then be evidentiary sort of wrangling to figure out, you know, why that was brought in in the first place, that kind of thing. You would have to call a psychiatrist or, psych or psychologist to explain the relevance of, of, of the kinds of treatment to the case. Like my mother used to have to, because she was a psychologist, she used to testify to cases where they'd ask about things like that as an expert witness. Yeah. Um, but back then, and, and that's, you know, again, I, I talk about things that infuriate me, that, that are events that happen in this movie. Uh, which isn't me saying I don't like the movie. It's just saying that these things make me mad. Which uh, is fucked up because they really happened. But anybody that needs psychological or psychiatric treatment should seek it. Like, there's no shame in it. There's nothing wrong with getting help when you're not doing well. And the fact that so many people think that there is, is, is bad. It's bad for society. And, like, seeing how in, in certain situations somebody would use that as a lever on somebody is just that's a bad issue of mine mm -hmm. maybe that's just me i don't know well i mean if like it is something that is definitely the important takeaway of this movie is not just that you know something was uncovered a long time ago but these yeah. sort of prejudices that impact all sorts of people's lives in this like huge spider web just uh because of the money is crazy yeah. and like uh they talk about they don't uh they don't say a jewish person will make less money than you know somebody of a different race they specify just gentile so even later when van doren is replaced as champion it's by a white woman who also comes from a uh, affluent background and her whole thing is that she's smart and pretty too yeah yeah and that's and that's happening in the background of this as van doren has become uh as the hearings are, are gearing up has become increasingly unhappy with his position and with the lie that it's it's sort of led him to the the lie that he initially tells himself that this is to spread the idea of education which is such a bad lie. Like quiz shows aren't about education. They're about recitation of facts. Um, selling but, Geritol. Yeah, and selling Geritol. Um, but he's, he's told himself this, but he's no longer really able to, to square the circle in his mind of, of what he's doing. So he decides to take a dive. I am not sure if this is historical. Like in the film they don't want him to lose and he just he loses he does in fact lose to a woman in real life to a white woman i would assume uh who interestingly was the wife of a previous contestant that van doren did successfully defeat uh i wasn't clear from the wikipedia article if he took a dive or if she was meant to have won In the movie, he definitely, like, they don't lead him to do it. He just does it himself. Yeah. In this narrative, there's a sort of sympathetic bit to him through that. Uh, so Goodwin, now with a bunch of evidence, is coming, and he lets the, the show's producers know that things are going bad. Uh, this gets him meetings with the executives of uh, Scorsese, the head of Geritol, and uh, also the guy who's the head of NBC. Um, both of whom seem to not care. Uh, 
they think that they'll just get their producers to fall on the sword and not implicate anybody at the company or the sponsor. Even though the Geritol guy as much as admits to uh, Goodwin's face that they did in fact know that there was rigging going on on the show. Uh, so the committee hearings happen. Uh, Stemple is blasted as a witness by the most of the uh, most of the attendant Congress people uh, for the exact same reasons that NBC had, and it's pretty obvious that they've been fed how to discredit him by the NBC hacks. Uh, the case isn't looking great. But then Charles Van Dorn makes a public statement about how he's completely innocent and uh, he's willing to testify about what's happening, which Goodwin reads as an invitation to subpoena him and get the truth out of him, which I think is, again, within the film, what's supposed to be happening. Like Charles Van Buren, rather than stay quiet and let things blow over, has in this film decided to admit to his part in it uh, through a series of machinations. Again, I don't know if that's true or if he, the historical Van Doren did sort of go to ground after these hearings started coming out. He had at that time been on the, as he was in the movie on a talk show and he was on Columbia, uh, but he stopped, uh, he sort of hid from public life for, I think it said three weeks and then eventually just decided to testify to the committee. Uh, I think they'd maybe even been looking for him for a subpoena for a while. So I don't know if he was quite as noble as, if, if I'm gonna pick a problem with the film, I'm gonna say this film wants to pick him out as a bit more noble than I suspect the real Charles Van Doren is. Well, and I wondered if it, it was. was his, I wondered if it was his perspective the movie was drawing from for its. I wonder, because it's sort of about the, the the debate between this sort of working class ethnic life, right, and this uh, and this patrician life, right? Yeah. And Robert Redford is, by his background, on one side of that, you know. Yeah. And it's the Charles Van Dorn side, I think. I think. I think. I don't know a lot about Robert Redford's background, but I don't think he grew up poor. He certainly isn't especially ethnic, so you know. He has his side. Uh. I mean, and the historical record does seem to indicate that Charles Van Dorn was a more charming person in ways that are themselves, I would argue, suspiciously racialized and ethnicized. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I can totally believe that Charles Van Dorn was a more likable human being. Uh, but I don't think he was as moral a human being as the film wants to put him as. Which, and it's not that the film says he's greatly moral. The film just says that he has regrets and I wonder how true they are. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Did you want to say something? No, I was I I, I I just like I said, I, I'm while I was while we were while I, I was watching this, I was trying to figure out whose biography this was drawing from and I and I was just wondering if it if it was Van Dorn's for that reason. Uh from what I've read, they drew from a variety of sources and interviews for it. Yeah. And uh, both sides contend that there were inaccuracies and both sides say that it wasn't, I think Stemple is a, was a little angrier about his portrayal because he says they made him look like kind of a schmuck. 
Um, but and neither of them, like the, the things that I see, saw that Charles Van Dorn disputed seem like very minor. Like he's like, well, I was dating somebody during that whole time and I eventually married her, which I'm like, so fucking what? Yeah. <laughs> What's that have to do with this movie? <laughs> I really don't like Charles Van Dorn. Uh, so, uh, so, so Van Dorn testifies uh, and he brings his father with him. Another reason to dislike him. I remember the time my mom got her visiting me in Lawrence and some fucking college kid hit her car uh, with his when he was parking in the lot of my building. And then uh, when the cops were called and they were arguing over who was liable, the fucking kid called his parents out. This was somebody, a theoretical uh -huh. adult, like in his 20s, living on his own. And he was like, oh, I got in an accident. I better call my fucking parents. But yeah, maybe it's different if it's a congressional hearing. <laughs> uh, so the Van Dorens all come to the hearing. And, uh, Charles Van Doren gives a very, uh, and this is historical apparently, uh, he gives a very uh, careful, very, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm full of remorse type speech about all the non-specified bad things that he's done. That anybody who reads a lot of the sort of mea culpa shit will immediately recognize as the kind of bullshit that you say when you're caught out at something and you don't want to admit to it. Uh, where you talk about, you know, all of the terrible things that you've done and, and how you, you wish that you could take them back without actually saying what those things are or who has been victimized by them or what harm has been done or what should be done to you. Um, most of the senators uh, or Congress people, I'm not sure if they're the Senate subcommittee thing, I don't know, whatever. All of the Congress people, uh, save one, are, are very impressed by it. They talk about, oh, this was, this was such a great, it's such a, such a soul-searching speech. Uh, but one other one who's, and this is, again, historical, it's a guy from, another guy from New York. And the guy says, well, I grew up in a different part of New York, and I don't really know why I think, why you think that we should be impressed that you finally decided to tell the truth. You know, you're such a yeah. fucking smart guy. Um, there is some dispute in the historical record as to who the crowd clapped for. Uh, Wikipedia lists three different sources, one of which says that the crowd actually clapped for Van Doren and all of the Van Doren Congress people and was reserved with Dowden, I think was the guy's name, mm -hmm. the critical one. Uh, but the other two sources both indicate that they were on the side of the very reasonable criticism. Like, what, what do you want a cookie for, for not lying anymore? Uh, and it sort of ends <laughs> on Goodwin being disenchanted, knowing that what he had wanted to do was to change the television industry uh, in order to get rid of dishonesty within it, uh, lying to people. But the course of the investigation has shown him that that's not going to happen, that the producer does indeed the, the uh, what's his name, the producer, Enfield or whatever, uh, he does throw himself, the David Paymer one, he throws himself under the bus for the company and takes all the yeah. blame and Jerry Hall and NBC and get away. To me, that was one of the best moments in the film because that guy had been the whole time like, I'm not going to give in. I'm never going to whatever. And then like, 
like when push came to shove, like he was just like, it's all me. I did it. Well, he's still kind of not giving in because he's taking it because he wants a future in the industry. Oh, sure. And he, you know, he, his history and, bears out that he eventually gets that too. Yes. We, we, we see, we get a bunch of Animal House uh, credits here where we find out that the David Paymer character uh, did get to return to television with, jo- with Joker's Wild, which thankfully made him a, a multimillionaire. So right. happy ending for us all. The, the, the scummy asshole who was really shitty to Jews uh, made a lot of money. I'm I'm just I can't tell you how pleased as punch I am to hear that. Right. Um what what happened to everybody else? Uh Goodwin went on to be a I think to attach himself to the Kennedys, uh both John and Robert, I think, uh as an aide and speechwriter and things. And I think he retired from politics after Robert got uh fucking gunned down a block from where I used to live in LA. Is that right? Yep. You weren't there at the time. Nah, was, there were a few years separating that. <laughs> um, is there a is there a monument though? I mean, in, uh, joking aside, is that is there? There is a sort of like multicultural school that was built there mm-hmm. on the site called the Ambassador. I believe it's like the Ambassador School because it was the Ambassador Hotel. Yeah. Um. So let's see what else happens to people. Uh, Herb Stemple uh, got a job in New York legal system. Like he's some sort of like trial clerk or some shit that I don't. Like Wikipedia said that he was like a pre-trial examiner, I think. I don't know what that means. Uh, I think that means the person who goes over your depositions before you go out there. Like make sure you don't flub it up or whatever. At the time the film was made, he was still alive. Uh, as we might have hinted earlier, he has recently passed away. As our <laughs> show claims yet another life. I can't believe... Uh, I can't believe we did that. What you may not know is that Charles Van Dorn died about a year before that. Almost exactly a year before that, apparently. So they both died very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Charles Van Dorn, according to the epilogue of this, went on to write for Encyclopedia Britannica and write several books. Uh, the epilogue claims that he never taught again, but that is untrue, because why yeah. would justice happen? What? Man. Maybe, maybe, I, shit out of me. maybe I just bought into the, the narrative of the film a little bit, or maybe, you know, I saw a little bit of my myself in this guy or whatever, but like, you know, I'm I'm not anti Van Dorn here. <laughs> he commits intellectual hot. dishonesty for money. But you know, at least like I said, the way the narrative built it anyway, there was this, you know it was a slow process. Like Sure, and Jeffrey Dahmer had a shit childhood. I, I mean, don't think it, I don't think Van Doren is like uh, definitely not a better person than uh, John Turturro's character for sure. But oh, John Turturro's a shithead too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't think that this you know the affluent wealth style is like a good thing either. But 
I don't know. I yeah, it, it it's you don't feel like he is a, a good guy, really. Not like he's a bad guy, but you just feel like it's like, oh, yeah, you, why should we feel sorry for you? You were set before all of this, and now you're double set, and you get out of it like scot free, basically. Here's my take on it. And or you can disagree. This is that's fine. You can state your point after I stand in mine. I haven't um, broken in. I, know. I haven't interrupted you yet. I'm aware, except for just now. And I don't did. plan to interrupt you while except you're talking. For just, except for just now. <laughs> just while you're doing that. <laughs> I, did I know. Yet. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit. We're sim- me and you. We're simpatico. I see you. Simpatico. I see you. That's that's why we love each other's lies in that dumb Jackbox game we keep playing. We always do, don't we? Yeah, it's me and you every time. I love yours, you love mine. Like, every day. <laughs> Fibbage, Cody. Every time we play goddamn Fibbage, me and Josh, like, the lies that we both make up are the ones we end up liking for each other. <laughs> yep, we always believe our, each other's lies. That's cute. Yeah, it is. Shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think Van Doren is a bad person in the sense of like he's destructive or ruinous or uh, bad intent, you know? I think he's a diffident person. Like I, I keep using big words like callow and diffident, but I think they're important words. Like they're, they represent somebody, like he was raised in money, he had all these opportunities, he absorbed all of that, and he's not doing anything with it because they're not his. They're not his accomplishments in, in a very real way. The system was rigged to give him all of that, regardless of his own merit. So how can he value them? How can he use them in good ways? Like some people can recover from that and become useful and good people. I'm not saying that everyone that inherits money is a write-off, but this guy comes across to me, uh, both in this film and in the comments of his that I read while looking at looking this up and the things that he picks as, as, as points of contention. Uh, as somebody who's just not really all there. Like, I don't, and it wouldn't, I suppose it wouldn't matter as much that you have these diffident rich people, but they're in charge of so much of the what makes the world work. Like these, you know, you might say, oh, these are just some Columbia literary people, you know, some New York intelligentsia who no one gives a shit about outside of that context, but that context creates academia. Yeah. Like how, how the Ivies manage themselves and govern themselves dictates the way, the means of knowing, you know, to be post-structuralist. Uh, <laughs> but I made a joke about me not being able to do in the last episode, I guess. Um, <laughs> and and it, it bothers me that it's in the hands of these people that just don't care and don't face consequences and don't live in a world where they'll ever really be made to face those consequences. Like Charles Van Dorn, like lost his job on a Today Show. That's the only thing that really happened. He got everything else back. Yeah. Mm. I would agree. I concur. Well, I, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, disagree with the eat the rich sentiment. Um, but I would sort of disagree with at least to a certain extent, 
his culpability in this particular narrative as built by the movie. Now, I didn't look into the actual sort of history of it as much as you did. And I meant to watch, there's a, there's an American experience, a PBS American experience documentary uh, that, that talks about the quiz show scandal, like from a, you know, from a documentary perspective. And I meant to watch that this week. And um, I hunted it for a little bit, but I didn't find it in the obvious places. So I sort of just gave up rather than keep digging. But um, the, uh, so I, I did want to get my ducks in a row. Uh, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't realize this was going to be the controversial <laughs> sort, of, sort of thing though. Um, but you know, like I said, it's, it is what it is. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I deal with these people sort of every day. So maybe I just, you know, have a certain like thicker skin for it, I guess. Maybe. What did you think was going to be the big controversial? Oh, I didn't think we were going to have any kind. I thought we were going to gush about this movie and then have to fill time. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I mean, I mean, this movie, I... I mean and entirely the story aside and everything, this this movie was well constructed, well made. Like, was... um, go ahead. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, the only thing towards the beginning I was sighing a little. The only thing is it was fucking depressing to me. It was, it's a, in themes, it's a better made version of Network, which is a movie I just really despise. Um, I, I have yet to watch it, but it's one of those movies that like Amazon like has me on the hook for and is like, oh, you're, you're going to love this if you ever buy it from us. <laughs> I'm very curious what you would think of it if you watch yeah. it. Um. But I do think this film is a lot more adroitly made than that. Like, it's not nearly so hitting you over the head. But it, at its heart, it's the same sort of message about... We, we, we blame the way the society is shaped by these things, in particular, and on the media. And, and so much in this film is about, I think, or at least towards the end, it's about how the popularity of things shapes it and how people are more culpable for that than we like to think. Like, we like to blame it on the, the media magnates, but to some degree... I mean, even if you, like, even if they had gone on past the, past Enfield or whatever the guy's name is and, and taken down the head of NBC, there'd be another head of NBC. <laughs> there'd be another head of the Geritol company. Yeah. Like, and that's because people still want, because people aren't really willing to disengage with the product that they're creating. And in, until they are, then meaningful change, it's hard to see how it's going to happen. Makes sense. Yeah. Which I don't think is a very, it's a, it's a theme that I think the film gets at, especially towards the end, but it's a bit more subtle for the most part, except for the fucking closing credits. <laughs> Uh, where it really fucking hits it on the nose. I know we have anything else to say about this, or are we going to call it a Cody, over an hour? Falling off entirely, buddy. I don't think I've heard you say anything in like ten minutes. No, I'm still here. I mean, <laughs> it's just because my uh, video is out. I've uh, I I keep muting it just because every now and then I eat a Rice Krispie treat. 
<laughs> but I've been I've been listening. I just didn't want to step he on anybody's. Smiling at us is what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. No, I I get it. I I mute my Zoom every time I eat your mom's pussy. Whoa. Whoa. She says some real vile things, man. You don't want that going over air. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't want this going over air. <laughs> well, you're the editor, so you get a chance to take that out. <laughs> no, I just. Uh... You could just you could just clip one of Josh's yours to just say my. <laughs> if you leave there it you in, go. I apologize for making the the vile joke, Cody's mom. I'll just edit in Aura's good... last name again. God He's a good boy, it. and I'm a filthy. Why does this keep happening? I didn't do anything to you. <laughs> you told me to pull pull weight, pull focus to you. What? You said, uh, n- never mind, it, your mom jokes. You said switch it to your mom. Oh, no, I said Josh's mom. Oh, why would Josh eat his I own I don't know, moms? why would Josh do that? That's sick and vile. See, now you're just stealing joke constructs from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It, it does seem, though, that this is a good segue to what, what's next. Reviews, one thing, the cash. What are, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess I don't know. Review, I like the movie, and I think we all like the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> the movie was good. Let's pinch off this turd of a podcast. Wow. <laughs> uh, one thing, trash or treasure. I could uh, I could gin up a trash or treasure while you guys do your one thing. Okay. Sure. I'll I'll go ahead with my one thing. Um, it's a thing that I've been playing the past couple of days, another video game uh, that unfortunately has also been a bit depressing, along with this movie. So I'm kind of in a depressy state of mind. Might be why uh. I was all antagonistic at Mr. Van Doren. Uh, I decided that I would finally get around to replaying the uh, South Park Fractured Butthole with the downloaded content that I got <laughs> way, way back. Uh, and it's actually a pretty well-made game, I think. It's, a, it's on the shortest, shortish side, and probably I should have waited until it was discount before I bought it, but I didn't because I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> but that was long enough ago that, I can't, that I'm less resentful. Yeah. Uh, what is a bit harder to play about it right now is that there is a storyline about police corruption through brutality to African-American people. Oof. And that's, it's a bit of a hard play right now. Holy, holy crap. Like, like, like in the game, the police are part of this drug ring and they're trying to draw attention away from it. And they do so by having your character it's, it's kind of funny. You go to the police office and like, oh, would you like a junior detective badge? We'll give you a junior detective mission. Like, go to this place. You have the suspected drug kingpin. Our man will back you up. Make entrance to the front. Uh, so you're thinking like, oh, they're going to send me to do police work. But then you get there and it's just a black guy's house. And the police guy is just like, now beat him up. And you have to beat up this like middle class black man in his own home so the police can haul him away. It was... Wow. Uh, I don't know. It was. I feel like I played it differently now. <laughs> and it's not even like when it first came out, these kinds of incidents hadn't happened. Yeah. It's just it's an interesting re-experience in that way. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, or is still looking up his stuff. Uh, I there's all sorts of things that I could do for a uh, uh, one thing this week. I guess that's not the point of one thing, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, that was that was the problem when we first started doing this, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> the five uh, things I enjoyed this week. I'll I'll say uh, Dark Souls three on the PC. I uh, by the time this episode airs, I will have had my uh, my new computer for about a week, and that is definitely like the thing that I plan on diving back in and finally being able to like actually handle online. The guy that, uh, my friend that built this uh, for me uh, went ahead and pre-installed Windows and things like Steam and Battle.net. Uh, and then he also gave me the RuneScape launcher, which I thought was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I might actually play some free old school RuneScape because I can now. Oh no, nice. we've lost Cody. Come back, Cody. <laughs> no, all right, you should join. We'll be a guild. We'll do a podcast about it. I don't. <laughs> know how to do any of that is this is this a leroy jenkins thing <laughs> no it's free leroy jenkins yeah oh wow this is, is a mmo that was before wow really is it, it was based <laughs> uh largely technically i most I rpgs have, are I only, have, I only have two frames of reference for for mmos uh red dragon in and Diablo 3. Uh, <laughs> closer to Diablo 3 than Red Dragon in. But also not at all. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, so, uh, my one thing this week, uh, I have been enjoying the outdoors, um, which is uncharacteristic, I know. Uh, Boo. But yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I've, I've had to sort of half justify in my head buying that expensive camera while I was on vacation last year. And so I've been trying to use, you know, take pictures of things. And I, I think I talked on the pod about the, the project I was working on by taking a bunch of closed signed pictures during COVID stuff. But then I also bought a fancier lens a couple weeks ago. So now I'm like, oh, I have to go take some nature shots to make sure so, uh, so I've, I've been doing some walking and that's the, that's the one thing this week, walking and not thinking about the world burning to the ground. That's good though. Yeah. It's, it's good, but it's also, you know, bad cause it's hot and yeah, it's very hot. It's, it's, you know, I, I tire easily cause I'm a fat old man. Um, so, so, you know, a, a half a mile walk pretty much shoots me for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, so that's my one thing this week, going for a walk. All right. Uh, trash or treasure? Yeah. Yep. Trash or treasure? Is it trash? Is it treasure? Um, so the two things this, uh, this go around... Uh, serendipitously, I found kind of uh, things related to what we were talking, like strictly related to what we were talking about. So, um, uh, Trash or Treasure this week, uh, oh, I guess I should explain the premise. Uh, what I do is I go on, you know, uh, collectible sites, usually eBay, and I try to uh, find uh, some things to ask these guys about uh, what's valuable versus what is not valuable uh, in the collectible market. Uh, so, uh, the, the first thing I found was a Charles Van Dorn, uh, signed Time Magazine. 
and then the second thing is a uh, headshot signed by Joel Kupperman of uh, in his in Quiz Kids uh, in the 1940s for Quiz Kids in the 1940s. Ooh. And I guess it, it's worth mentioning that the Time Magazine thing uh, was, uh, I believe, from 1957. Hmm. It's the whole magazine. Yeah. Uh, what's what does what's the coverman thing? You said it's something that he signed as a poster. Yeah, or? it's 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 got his picture on the cover, and he signed it. Okay, so some kind of magazine or periodical. Uh, yeah, it's it's a Time magazine. I'm sorry. Oh. Did I clip okay, out during that? I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I did not catch okay. that. So Charles Van Dorn, 1957 Time magazine signed, and then <sighs> Quiz Kids headshot. Joel Kupperman signed 1940s era. Uh, it's in, these things are interesting and very, very similar. I'm going to do the Kupperman because I'm going to be angry if it's the other way. Kupperman is treasure. I'm going to say the, I feel like there's less signed Time magazines than there are headshots from Quiz Kids. So I'm going to, I'm going to go the other way. Cody got it. Yeah, I figured you would do that. Uh, <laughs> no, I knew that Dora was going to do this to infuriate me. I didn't know. I didn't do to infuriate you. I I had to gin it up in like two minutes there. <laughs> like, oh, and sure. Was, and I just searched the names. So <laughs> Sure. It was, it was nice. It worked out to piss you off, but I didn't do it on purpose this time. I see time. the strands of your conspiracy. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> cash blast us yeah all right well so uh if you're interested in any more of this uh this nonsense you can go to uh that podcast productions.fireside.fm there's all kinds of you know uh blogs and and old shows and things like that um if you want to if you want to talk to us through facebook you can do that at uh that podcast stays up all night slumber party uh, I wonder what would happen if you just search up all night slumber party, what you would get on Facebook, probably something filthy, but we're in there somewhere. Um, so there's that. If you want to email us, please send us some viewer mail. Oh, we have a piece of viewer mail this week. I, I almost had forgotten. Uh, viewer Christina sent us an email or sent me a text message, I guess. Um, asking if uh, her and Cody were the same age because of some cultural reference Cody made on a previous show. Uh, so Cody, uh, Cody is my age, isn't he? I totally did all the AR books. Any idea what the hell that refers to, Cody? Yeah. <laughs> we, I don't even remember which episode it was we talked about this, but we were talking about the AR stands for the Accelerated Reader Program. That might have been the last, I think that was the trivia quiz Yeah, books. the quiz show. Yeah, because we talked a quite a bit about uh, uh, the uh, the Book It program. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, hell yeah. Love to see another reader out there. Go readers. <laughs> readers are a, a more oppressed minority than gamers. And I don't think this is doxing. I mean, I'll agree with that, but I don't know that it's an oppressed minority. <laughs> I mean, more so than gamers, sure. <laughs> I don't think this is uh, doxing Christina too much, uh, viewer Christina here, but she was at the uh, 
Washington DC rally yesterday. Um, yeah. And sent me all kinds of pictures from it. Uh, oh, well. that, that my co-hosts can look at, but our listeners can't. That uh, is certainly some police militarization. Yeah. Yep. So a very interesting, uh, talk with her last night. Um, so yeah, if you want to be a part of the viewer mail segment, we'd be happy to have you. Uh, just send us a just send us an email at that productions at gmail.com or send us a message on the on the uh, the Up All Night Slumber Party Facebook page. Uh, or really any means or, that you can go or any means that. because apparently that was a text message that got through. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so there's that um there's a there's a twitter and a and an instagram uh they they are sadly lacking in updates at the moment so uh, uh apologize to everybody who has joined us on those platforms uh we'll be there soon when me and cody have more time in our lives ha 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 um <laughs> you're so funny mark <laughs> you want to talk about our uh, sister show for a moment josh hey are you into uh, a bunch of crazy mra shit about how women are terrible Eat what? a dildo made of sharpened glass. If you also want MRAs to eat a dildo made of sharpened glass, listen to Girls Talk Comics, uh, a show that probably doesn't have anything to do with MRAs, but instead is about two women that we know who are very smart and awesome talking about comics. That is girlstalkcomics.fireside.fm. Unfortunately, it has no affiliation with the band Girl Talk. Well done getting it in at the last jab there, Josh. Obviously. <laughs> I made a promise. Yeah, no, I remember. Uh, hey, Cody, uh, what's going on with the art on our on our thing? Our logo was drawn by our good friend Abby. You can find Abby's work on her Instagram at Rosari Art. That's R O Z A R I A R T on Instagram. If you uh, if you like our theme music, you can get in contact with us, and we'll put you in contact with uh, Ted Potter, who conducted the the theme of this show. Uh, what's coming up, Josh? Hey, uh, next week we have another episode of That Podcast Stays Up All Night, which is the show where we watch movies from USA Up All Night. Uh, we will be watching the movie Critters, which is about critters, and which will have a special guest. Woo-hoo. We're having a special guest. Who is that special guest, you ask? Greg, uh, Greg Smith, who uh, wrote, the, wrote the graphic novel, uh, well, at least wrote several graphic novels, but at least this one uh, that uh, I have read called Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. I met him at a comic yeah. book convention. He's a fantastic fella. I believe there were at least two in that series. Uh, the third one may or may not have come out at this point. All right, cool. Uh, then uh, we start a new month with, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know any, I don't have any way to tie the theme into fucking the summer. So we'll just say uh, it's, it's about French comics. We got a. We're doing the recently released Metal Hurlant collection, which is a collection of the 2000s reboot of the classic French anthology book, and we'll also be looking at some random issue of uh, of uh, Heavy Metal magazine. Oh, actually, I don't yeah. know what issue it is yet because Aura has not told metal? me. Two issues. Uh, it's I believe it's 296 and 297. There we go. So. Sadly, it's it's hard to get some of the classic stuff from heavy metal, so it'll be mostly newer stuff. But but that's okay. 
I'll say sadly, we know some stuff that's uh, or some of the people that's in one of them. Yeah, well, cool. I guess I don't know why that's sad. No, I mean, <laughs> did I say sad? I thought you said sadly. We know. Some. No, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I, 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 it came out like that, Cody. He's not lying. My B. That's definitely not what I meant. I meant that, uh, oh, what, like, the new heavy metals aren't bad. Yeah. Oh, no, they aren't. By no means. I just mean that I would like to do the old stuff, too. It, heavy metal, well, we're going to have a good conversation for that show. How about, we, how about we just leave it at that before I start thinking <laughs> it already? I think I already said I like the, uh, I like the really shiny boob robots in heavy metal. Yes, that's that is that is Cody's skin in this game. Is he is a noted boob robot enthusiast? <laughs> uh, I believe they are either uh, sex bots or pleasure bots. <laughs> I, they all just sort of look like Maria from Metropolis to me, and she is not like the or the 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 lunch machine, uh, and that that robot is not for your pleasure. Yeah, that is for your displeasure. Yeah, is she nuts? Oh. <clears throat> You've seen Metropolis. I have seen Metropolis lots of times. Every time I see it, I notice something different in it. The Mensch Machina is... The actress that plays Maria in that movie is so bright because she does her regular, like when she's the actual Maria, she has this way of silent acting that's very sort of nice and kind. And then she does the Mensch Machina and all of a sudden she's like... Like flipping her out and jumping around. It's Um, fucking great. Have you seen the newest cut of Metropolis? The, Probably not. The two and a half hour cut or whatever the Kino th- came out with. Uh, the last one I saw was probably it was when I was still an undergrad. Okay, yeah, so the this, this came out with that. Yeah, because they found <laughs> they found another Brazilian cut that had another thirty minutes or something. Yeah, another <laughs> Nazi died. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, you know that's where they're coming from, right? I do absolutely. <laughs> Nazis, Nazis loved that movie. Uh, and so, uh, but, but the thing that I noticed this most recent watch is there's actually a nipple in Metropolis and I didn't know there, yeah, like. Yeah, they were new to the old silent films sometimes, especially yeah, German ones, I'd imagine. I, I was, I was just shocked because I was like, whoa, old movie, like, what the hell? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, in the, uh, in the Deadly Sins section, she's dancing around in fucking tassels and shit, right? Yeah, well, that's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Like, might as well have her fucking baps out at that point. Yeah. It was shocking. I was shocked. I was like, what the what? <laughs> so, but yeah, Metropolis. It's, uh, you need the, uh, you need the heart to talk between the head and the hands, Josh. And the, and the heart is national socialism. Yes. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, I love Metropolis, I but oh, it I... was, it was written, Tavon Harbo, the author, was a, was a super Nazi. I, I'm wondering if, if Cody, Cody, have you seen Metropolis? Uh, no, technically not. I haven't seen all of it, but uh, I there's like not only is there Metropolis, so there's Cody like to falling asleep during silent movies. <laughs> there's like <laughs> documentaries and multiple movies about that movie too, aren't there? Probably. Am I, think, am I thinking of something else? You might be. Probably. I mean, I think there's probably been some documentaries and stuff on it. It's. It was it was a, sort of the last German expressionist film. 
Is this the one where Ewan McGregor is the blue robot and Robin Williams was the red robot? No. Oh, I think maybe that movie was Robots. I think that was... uh... Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be thinking of Robots. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Was Robots a German expressionism film? No, I thought there was I thought there was a big metal robot on Metropolis, right? I was, yeah. I mean, there's a person-sized robot. Oh. <laughs> These are the goodbyes. Bye. I can't hear you waving, Aura. <laughs>